if you weren't gathered for the party on Friday night, you missed it. It was an amazing opportunity to hug and share our deep love for each other. And there's no way for the Goyers to express our deep gratitude for our, for our being received that way and, and this way. And for all who showed up, uh, and for all you who shared how sorry you weren't able to, the beautiful setting at Susan and Ruth Smathers' house the lovely round tables with the red checked tablecloths and the lovely floral centerpieces, the pound cakes, the amazing pound cakes and ice cream was something out of southern legend. The wonderful catered food, the video or videos that Ted Powell did with many of you participating so creatively and poignantly and the financial gift to us, which was completely over the top, and the heartfelt expressions and all the cards that you have written and words you have shared are all symbolic of the deep-seated love of God that we share with each other in this church and my almost 14 years of ministry with you. This church, this Riverside Presbyterian Church, you people who are the church, and all those who came before you, as well as all those who will follow you, are the lifeblood of the presence of Christ that makes Riverside Church a living, breathing, Christ-like body. And it is very real and evident in your love and affection and service. Finally, I'm grateful for this long, stretched-out goodbye as it has given us more time to share our love and gratitude for each other in a deeply fulfilling way, yet not completely. In spite of having 14 years to complete our task together and a year to say goodbye, it has not been enough time to finish our work together nor could it be finished within a lifetime or 10,000 lifetimes. Leaving in this way reminds us of one of the conditions that we experience as we grow older. We learn that there is never enough time provided to finish all that we hope to complete. So much is left undone, many good ideas that didn't even get started, and many that did get announced but not yet underway. And the many relationships with so many left to share, so many things unfulfilled, such as the pace of life as it moves on. And we grieve a little each day for all of that which is left uncompleted. And we live in the tension between our aspiration and our hopes and our imagination and creativity and the reality of the absolute limitations, both on the inside of us and the outside. 
Even Jesus faced this existential crisis, the reality of incompletion with the imagination of fulfillment. And this morning's passage reveals it. It comes from the lectionary text for Ascension Day, which was set by Luke's gospel, really, in this story in the book of Acts. and is a liturgical celebration culminating in in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection 40 days after Easter, which just simply means it's code word for a long time. As the Apostles' Creed confesses, he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The usual take on this passage is that it gives us the assurance that Jesus has fulfilled his life's mission and that he has now ascended into heaven to be with God the Father, now the Son mediating for us between us and apparently a mean, nasty God. We need this mediator, which I think is not the intent. And now, after Jesus has left us, he's left us with the Holy Spirit, the way to connect to God and Jesus and each other. But I think it's a little more complicated than that. As I said, when he ascended, he left much uh, unfinished. Here the text comes from the message, Acts, verses 1 from chapter 1. Dear Theophilus, that is, lover of God, in the first volume of this book, Luke, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, you remember, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for the Father that has been promised, as the Father promised, You have heard it from me. John baptized in water, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And soon, when they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is God's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud, and they stood there staring up at an empty sky, when suddenly two men appeared in white robes and they said, you Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from you is now in heaven and will come just as certainly and mysteriously as he left. This is the word of the Lord. 
One of you reminded me at lunch last week that the sermon ending he most remembers is when I ended it with, it's complicated. And when I asked him what sermon it was and what I had preached about, he couldn't remember, only the ending, it's complicated. To be honest, sometimes when I'm preaching, what I have written to be the ending is not what I actually end up saying. And it must have been true that day that the Holy Spirit came and revealed to me that I didn't even understand what I was talking about. And so the only way out I knew was to just end it with, it's complicated. (laughs) This morning, however, I'm not ending with that assumption, but beginning with it. According to Luke's version of the story, for 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus and his disciples had a wonderful time together hanging out, eating and drinking and being together as Jesus continued to witness to them about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And as he was about to leave, he told them, wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and it will bring the kingdom to you. And just like the rest of us, the disciples heard what they really wanted to hear instead of what really Jesus had said. And what they asked next was, okay, then is this the time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? For a Jewish person raised expecting the Messiah to come again and restore the kingdom back to Israel, this was a fair question. They expected the Messiah to come and bring it back to be like when King David was king and all was well. They expected the Messiah any day. After the six-day Arab-Israeli war in 1967, Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great Jewish mystic, tried to explain the power of the state of Israel and its hold on Jewish people. He said, we felt all of Jewish history present in a moment. Suddenly we sensed the link between the Jews of this generation and the people of the time of the prophets. Israel is the only state which bears the same name, speaks the same tongue, upholds the same faith, and inhabits the same land as it did 3,000 years ago. Think about that. What a phenomenon. And I would add, it also still holds the same hope that the Messiah will come again and restore Israel to its military and powerful kingdom once again. So, of course, the disciples wondered if this was now going to be the time when Jesus would do just that, the Messiah, restore the kingdom. Jesus was a Jew, a Pharisee. He was even a rabbi. And he complicated this whole notion of the kingdom of Israel by saying it's not just for us. He told these disciples that it was about the kingdom of God that was already here 
and not just for you, but also for Judea and also for Samaria. Gulp. Ouch. Also for the whole world. Double ouch. And he told them basically to get over it. It's not for you to know the time or the way. That's God's business. Your business is to wait for the Holy Spirit who will inspire and encourage you to be witnesses in all the world, to witness the presence of the kingdom of God wherever you go, that is to perceive it, and to witness to it, that is to share it wherever you go. Everyone? Everywhere? Really? Not just Israel, not just Presbyterians, not just straight people, not just Americans, not just Christians, not even just humans. Did he say the whole world, everywhere, the kingdom of God? And if that's not complicated enough, Jesus then rises up like a Saturn rocket, slowly at first, as he lifts off, then gaining speed until he finally disappears behind the clouds, leaving his disciples with whiplash, or at least a crick in their neck as they're standing there looking up, expecting something more to happen. And in the meantime, if the physics of that aren't complicated enough, two angels dressed in white show up and tell them to get your heads out of the clouds and back on earth to witness Christ in the world all over the place in the same way that he was here before. He will continue to come again just as mysteriously as he left. Whatever that means. Now there are some people who don't see anything complicated at all about this story. It's simple. For some, either the whole story is nothing but a lie, a fabrication to spin Jesus so that he will look like some kind of mega-resurrected superhero, and therefore simply proof that the Bible and faith cannot be taken seriously. Simple. Or for others, the story is absolutely, literally, and historically true. It happened just like Luke said, exactly 40 days after Easter, when Jesus rises up into the sky to ascend to God the Father Almighty. What's complicated about that? It's either spin or it's absolutely, literally true. There's nothing to complicate it. Only there is. The first complication is that Jesus apparently walked around after his resurrection in this story with his disciples like a friend who was visiting with them for six weeks. He ate with them, he worshipped with them, he talked to them. It looks like Jesus was there just before his death. But that goes against every other resurrection story in all the Gospels, including Luke's that says in every encounter with the resurrected Christ, it was a complete mystery who he was until he revealed himself in a peculiar and particular way that only he could do. His personhood was revealed, and then they got it. But in this story, for 40 days, it's like, oh yeah, he's one of us. 
And second, it's the rocket ship thing. He ascends in a rocket ship, like manner, self-propelled, going up there to reunite with God who is up there in heaven. One small step for Jesus, one large step for mankind. Trouble is, God is not up there. Well, before Galileo, we may have thought God was up there when the world didn't revolve, but what we've discovered is that up there is only up there once every 24 hours. It's a moving target. The coordinates are the same once a second in 24 hours. And it's just like science to come along and complicate things like trying to convince us that there's something like a revolving world and global warming. Why do they have to complicate things? Maybe the story and the point is for us to get our heads out of the clouds and back down to earth, to get on with the work of the kingdom of God and quit expecting some kind of messianic miracle to bail us out of the complications of life. It's not going to happen. Isn't there a part of all of us hoping that God or Jesus or something powerful will finally come back down into our lives and fix it? Deus ex machina, God outside the machine of creation. It will it will, this power, it will help me find a spouse or have a child or make me happy or get me a job. And, and we're waiting with our clouds in heaven for this to happen, for Jesus to come back and fix it. And then when he doesn't, we lift our sights even higher, hoping that, okay, we will ride in on the apocalypse as he brings the rapture to us and at the end times take us up to heaven while the rest of Judea and Samaria and the whole world end up burning in a stew of chaos. Is this the time, Jesus? Not for you to know, he said. You just don't get it. For Riverside Church, during the interim period between my leaving and your new pastor coming, which will be at least a year, our interim pastor and the period of this interim pastor is meant to get your heads out of the sky and back down to earth in order to get busy with the unfinished work. So that when your new pastor is found through the work of the Holy Spirit, you will not expect the Messiah. Be patient. Give yourselves several years to fall in love with each other. It took us almost five to even begin that work. Give it time. Relationships are complicated. This is the way real love works. Real love, kingdom of God love. Jesus in the middle of it, love, mysteriously, 
but never in a way that keeps us from the pain and suffering or the joy and celebration of human life. Love and justice and life and death and hopes and dreams are complicated. When hospital chaplains work with patients who have been given a terminal diagnosis, they try to instill in them, if they don't have it, a sense of hope. First, a sense of hope that they will, someone, there will be a cure. Hope that. But more importantly, a hope in. A hope in love's God, God's love and redemption and reconciliation and kingdom of God, even in the presence of death even as they make their hard journey toward the end of life. A hope in God's redemptive and loving presence when it seems like you have been abandoned. Even a hope in the fact that God is our God in life or in death, whether we are made whole or not, there is no cure or not. In the end, we are healed. Hope in more than hope that. Hope in. And as complicated as it sounds, it's really pretty simple from God's perspective. The kingdom of God is among us. No matter the condition we're in. Amen. Amen.